doing. We just welcome you here, Holy Spirit. I just, I feel like I need to interrupt just for a second. Is that okay? Can I interrupt myself? Um, this past week we had a, a board meeting and we were looking obviously at the, the financials of the church and it, one of the things that we realized is about a year ago uh, we paid off our building debt. Um, a year before that we were $10,000 in debt which isn't that much but it's enough. And uh, guys, God is so good. He's such an amazing provider. So two years ago, we were $10,000 in debt. A year ago, we paid off our debt. And this year, as of this last week, we're actually up uh, about $9,000 from, yeah. And so what that means is that means that's, that's money that can go into improvements, that can go into projects, that can go into ideas that we want to move forward with as a church to advance our mission. And so we're so excited that, that not only are we looking and saying, okay, how do we stay out of the hole, but we actually actually have vision and, and uh, sight to be able to say, hey, this is where we can go with this. And so it's, it's, it's so amazing. It's just, it's so exciting that, that through you guys, through um, just God's provision, that we get to do this and, and, I just I think it's such a testimony of his provision. Amen. So, yeah. So Jesus, we just thank you for that. We thank you for your provision towards us as a church, towards us individually. We thank you for how you just pour out over and over and over again. And we just look forward with just great expectancy into what you want to do in this next year how you want to move us forward in the mission that you've called us to. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. This morning we're starting a, a new series on the book of Hebrews. And what I want to encourage you guys to do is every week we're going to try and cover part of or a whole chapter or a little bit more than a chapter of the book of Hebrews. We're going to go through the, the whole book of Hebrews together. But what I want to encourage you to do is, is if you want to go deeper with this, then take time every week and, and read through uh, one chapter of Hebrews. We'll do it together as a church, and it will be connected as well with what we're speaking on every week. Um, and I just want to start us off with, with this. This is the, the Passion Translation intro to Hebrews, and it says, The book of Hebrews presents the magnificent Jesus on every page. The light of the Messiah brings truth out from the shadows, and it shines brightly for all to see. Hebrews is written for every believer today, for we have crossed over from darkness to light and from doubt to faith. 
You know, there's so much culturally right now. There's so much confusion. There's so much what looks like maybe darkness. And I I feel like that's why Hebrews is such a fitting book for us to tackle together. Because it's all about going from darkness to light. Coming out of the darkness. It's all about dealing with doubt. And it it deals with faith. And so these are topics that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, number of weeks. We're going to tackle the topic of doubt and the topic of faith. And in all of that, we want to look at the supremacy of Jesus. And so my prayer for us is that as we dive into the book of Hebrews, that more than ever we would fall in love with the person of Jesus. Because we need to recognize that, that the solution to what we perceive as darkness is, is Jesus. Amen? Jesus is the one who brings, like we read earlier, that brings light, that, brings, that, that destroys gloom by his presence. And what amazes me is it seems like there's, there's so much confusion and misunderstanding of who Jesus is that we start to, to either believe in or, or maybe not believe in a Jesus who is less than he actually is. That maybe doesn't shine so brightly because of something we've heard or learned or been taught. And so the goal of this series is that, that it would bring out and magnify Jesus. We good with that? So we're going to start this morning on Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to talk a little bit about um, a sentiment that I've heard, uh, I've heard quite a bit of. And it's this idea that, that I, I, when I sit down to read the Bible, right, most of us would say that if, if, we, if we would call ourselves followers of Jesus, we'd say, yeah, we understand that the Bible is important. But when I sit down to read it, it feels so empty. Or it feels like I'm missing something. Or it feels like, like when I read it, I'm, there's something that I'm not understanding. I'm, there's, a, there's a cipher that I don't get to understand what I'm reading. Excuse me. Maybe, maybe you sit down and you read and you feel like, there must be more. Like, there must be something I'm missing. I must be able to get more out of this than what I'm getting out of it. Is there anybody who, in here, and be honest, is there anybody in here who, when you sit down to read the Bible, you, sometimes it just feels cryptic and mystic and unclear? Okay, awesome. So this is going to be relevant. It's not always going to be relevant. <laughs> we can feel like, okay, if, if I could just... There's something that I'm missing to get the deeper revelation that's here. Like you read it and you're like, okay, I know this is profound, but what is it pointing to? This isn't, this isn't uncommon. I, I hear this all the time. And that's why we're talking about it this morning is because it's not uncommon. And, and I think sometimes we feel ashamed or we feel like, oh, I, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, I should know my Bible better or I should understand this better. But I think what's, what should be encouraging is if you're dealing with that this morning, you're not the only person dealing with it. 
See, so often we, we read and our desire is, well, we want, we read, we read to try and get something, right? We want more joy or we want more peace or we want more love in our lives or we want more self-control. We want more kindness, more faithfulness. But the reality is these things don't come because of a mantra. They don't come because we say, well, I'm just going to live thankful. Right? They don't come just because we, we say, well, love is important. These things come because of a person. And that person is Jesus. They don't just come from changing your mindset. Right? It's not about just, well, if I just think more positive, then I'll be a more loving person. They come from inviting a person. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. In the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, when, when God would speak through a prophet, he would build one upon the next upon the next. When, when he spoke through his law, when he gave the Ten Commandments, then he, he gave other laws to build upon those. Then he sent the prophets to build upon those. And it was this, this idea of, of building one upon the other. And so you might live during one generation and you would hear part of a revelation about who God was. And then the next generation would have another revelation that was built on top of that previous generation. And it would keep building and keep building and keep building. And it meant that, that if you lived over here, you would have a different experience than if you lived over here, right? If you, if you lived at the time when Moses uh, brought down the Ten Commandments, you'd have a different encounter and experience of God than if you lived under Joshua taking the Promised Land or if you lived further under Ezekiel or Isaiah, the prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. But then Hebrews says this, says, but to us, to who? To us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly. Everyone say openly. God is not speaking, is this mine or is this yours? Or are we sharing today? Okay, thanks. Mm, is that mint flavor? <laughs> we so often have this idea that God is trying to be mystical. That he wants to be unknown. That he wants it to be difficult and confusing. When we read his word. When we hear from him. But Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 says that God now speaks openly. Hebrews was written 
uh, we actually don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but some people believe that the author of Hebrews, um, the early uh, church fathers believed that it was actually written by Paul. Um, in later in later years, scholars have thought, well, maybe it was written by by Apollos or by one of the followers of Paul that was that walked with him. Either way, Hebrews was written in Hebrew, and it was written to the Hebrew people. It was written to encourage them not to walk away from what Jesus had paid for, not to go back to old covenant theology. Not to go back to the thing that was built piece upon piece, like a puzzle, but to recognize that God is speaking openly and clearly right now to you. It's not meant to be hidden. God's voice is not meant to be mysterious and murky. Maybe you've heard, you know, there's some, there were some uh, people who were cycling belief systems where it's like, well, you know, this number means this, and so if you follow this very minuscule rabbit trail, you can find out what God is saying. Right? This letter means this number, and this number means it's far too confusing. Hebrews says that God is speaking openly. Then he continues, he says, openly in the language of a son. The appointed heir of everything. For through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor. The exact expression of God's true nature. His mere image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then he took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. Wow. God is speaking openly in the language of a son. Some translations say, in the language of his son. This is is so incredibly profound. Because if you want to know what God is speaking, he's speaking Jesus. The purpose of, as we read scripture, is to reveal who Jesus is. As we open our Bibles and read the only purpose, the only reason to read it that's worthwhile is to discover Jesus. That's the goal. That's the, if you want to know what God is speaking to you today, He is speaking Jesus to you. If you want to know, well, how do I get free in my life? Guess what? He's speaking Jesus to you. If you want to know, how do I get healed? How do I be a better person? How do I change my life? Guess what God is speaking? That's right. Thank you. Someone's paying attention. Here's the thing. When you're trying to know what God is saying to you, if it doesn't reveal Jesus, it's not what the Father's saying. It's that simple. 
If you get lost in, in all kinds of different opinions and, and views and you want to simplify it and clarify it, this is how you do it. If it's not revealing Jesus, it's not what God is speaking. Any theory, any thought or idea that doesn't point to Jesus isn't from the Father. People often ask, why, why are certain books of the Bible in the Bible? Why are they part of it, and why are other ones left out? And there's a whole mess of reasons why, but here's a very simple answer. The 66 books of the Bible reveal Jesus. He is revealed in every line, every word, every sentence, every paragraph. They're meant to point to Jesus. That's why they're put together. Any other books, they don't. They might have facts or they might have history, but they don't reveal Jesus. So they're not what God is speaking. You guys following with me? Hebrews 1, chapter 1, verse 3. Church, we need to get this. It says, The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, His mere image. Jesus is not a funhouse mirror of the Father. Are you know funhouse mirror? They, like, they distort, they make you look like with a big head or... Sometimes I wake up and I look in the mirror and I'm like, wow, is, what, did somebody change this mirror? Jesus is not a funhouse mirror of the Father. He's not a distorted view of who God is. He is the perfect representation of the Father. Absolutely perfect. There's nothing left out. There's nothing in the Father that is not in Jesus. There's nothing in Jesus that was not in the Father. Everything he did, every act, every miracle, was to display the nature of his Father. We need to get this because we, we've started to believe that, that, well, you know, I really like this Jesus guy. Like, he seems really awesome, but I'm not so fond of God. I'm not so fond of the Father, and, and the Holy Spirit really makes me uncomfortable. But it says that Jesus is the mere, the exact likeness of God. Not in a diminished form, in a perfect mirror image. What does that mean? It means when you look at Jesus, you see the Father. It's not that, that God the Father is displayed in the Old Testament and he's judgmental and wants to destroy things and loves burning up cities and stuff like that. And then we get to Jesus and we have this kind and gentle and peaceful. No. Jesus is the perfect, clear picture. What we have in the Old Covenant is we have something that's built together like a puzzle piece upon piece, and it points to one place. It points to Jesus. 
Because Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He is the perfect example, the perfect mirror image. You want to know what God's desire, what his heart looks like? You look at Jesus. You want to know his intention, what he is passionate about, what he cares about? You look at Jesus. One of the examples where we see this is, is when we look at healing. We often look at Jesus and we're like, yeah, Jesus healed everyone, but God doesn't want to heal everyone. Where do we get that from? If Jesus is the exact likeness of the Father, then when Jesus walked into a city and healed every single sick person, it was because that was the desire, that was the heart, that was the nature of the Father. That is the nature of the Father. God has one central message for humanity, and it's Jesus. The book of Hebrews was written between 50 and 64 AD. In 1929, okay, 1929, Edward Hubble discovered that the universe is constantly expanding. Astrophysicists now say that, that the universe now is expanding faster and faster than it was. What I think is amazing about this is that Hebrews, written between 50 and 64 AD, says this. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his word. That's amazing. Now here's the thing. Why does that matter? We've often thought of or taught that Jesus is the central message of Christianity. But he's not just the central message of Christianity. The whole Old Covenant, foundation of Judaism, points to Jesus. In fact, the entire universe is held together and expanded by who? By Jesus, by his word. The central message of the universe is Jesus. So if you ever hear somebody saying, well, the universe told me, guess what? Guess what the universe is saying? The universe is pointing to Jesus. The creation of the universe happened because of Jesus. What I find fascinating is, is astrophysicists, astrophysicists are actually currently debating what is it that causes the universe to expand? Why does it not just collapse in on itself with gravity? Why is it constantly expanding? And, and not only that, they, so they've come up with these, these ideas. They call them dark matter and dark energy. And they say they're called dark because they can't be measured. There's no visible properties to, to look at. There's nothing. They, can, they can't weigh them, but they can see the effect that they have on the rest of the universe. And yet Hebrews says, and this just blows me away, 
that he holds the universe together and he expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. Wow. The message of Jesus, the message of a son, that God would send his son because he so loved you, is written right into the fabric of creation. It's not just about a belief system. This is the only message that God is speaking. This is why, we're going to get into this a little bit later, but this is why other belief systems don't hold a candle to Jesus. Because Jesus isn't speak, or sorry, God is not speaking the message of Muhammad or of Buddha or of Krishna. He is speaking the message of Jesus. That's the only message. It's the message of his son. So why does this matter? The message of Jesus is that God would send his son to invite anyone who would believe in him to become sons and daughters of God. When it says that in, in uh, verse 2, when it says that he speaks openly in the language of a son, it's twofold. He's speaking Jesus, but the message of Jesus is that he's inviting you to be sons and daughters. And far too often, we relate to God like servant and master, where we can't know his business. We can't understand what he's speaking, what he's saying. This idea that when we read, we can't understand it because he is the master and his ways are higher than ours, and, which is true, except that the New Testament says he gives us the mind of Christ. Too often we live feeling condemned, like we don't measure up, like we're not doing enough, we're not good enough. If only we could try harder or, or, or do more, then God would approve of us. That's the message of religion throughout the ages. If only you would do more, God would approve of you. But the message of a son is that before you did anything to change your life, Christ died for you to invite you to be a son and a daughter. To invite you to be called his children. Not because of what you're doing. Not because of how you're acting. But because he's just that good. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. This is what it says, speaking of those who've chosen to accept Jesus' sacrifice for them. It says, Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. 
What does that mean? It means when Jesus, sorry, when God looks at you, he sees you wrapped up in Jesus. And this is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself even before he laid the foundation of the universe. Before the foundation of the universe. Not just before the creation of earth, before the foundation of the universe. He chose that he was going to adopt you as children. That he was going to send his son to extend the invitation for adoption. Do you recognize how incredible this is? This isn't like a plan B. It wasn't like God created man and then he's like, oh man, they messed up. Now we've got to come up with another plan. What are we going to do? Well, we could send Jesus down, maybe. Maybe that would work. No, from the, before the foundation of the universe, God chose that he was going to send his son to adopt you as children. This was plan A. Before he made anything, he already planned you, and he already planned that he would adopt you as his children, if you would accept his invitation. Wow. Come on, somebody get excited about that. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with an unstained innocence. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the Anointed One, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. Whoa, you guys catch that? The same love that he has for Jesus, he has for you. I'm going to finish this and then. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. As we choose to accept his invitation for adoption, the extension of his invitation to become his sons and daughters, it says it brings him great pleasure. Some of you have come, come to Jesus believing that he, he hesitantly accepts you. He's like, well, I guess if I have to deal with you, I will. Right? Some of you have that, that belief about God that, well, he just puts up with me because, well, he has to because of what Jesus did. But Ephesians says that it delights him to carry out his plan. It delights him to encounter you and to draw you in as a son and as a daughter. It brings him great pleasure. So what can we do? How does this how do we implement this this extension this invitation? How do we implement the language of Jesus when we are reading his word? 
I'm going to give you one point really quick, and then we're going to wrap this up. When you sit down to read, invite the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to you. It's that simple. Open up your Bible and say, Holy Spirit, will you show me Jesus in this passage? There is no greater revelation. There is nothing deeper. There is nothing more that God is speaking aside from Jesus. And so when you sit down to read and you want God to show you something, say, Holy Spirit. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. Say, Holy Spirit, will you reveal Jesus to me as I read? When we read for any other purpose, we end up making Jesus in our image. But when we discover him is when we're conformed to his image. That's when our minds are renewed. And when we invite him to come, he comes. If it doesn't reveal Jesus, it's not what God is speaking. If it doesn't magnify Jesus, it's not what God is speaking. Jesus made a way for us to boldly enter his presence. To extend the invitation of God to be his sons and his daughters. If we're going to tackle the topic of doubt and faith, this is foundational. Because unless you understand that Jesus made a way for you to come boldly before the throne, then your doubt will always overwhelm your faith. And I believe that's why the author of Hebrews started out in the very first few verses outlining, outlining the truth of what is the language, what is the message of God to the world. And he outlined it clearly. Let's pray together. This morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus' invitation, you've never recognized that that his plan was to extend this invitation to you, since before the creation of the universe. This morning you recognize that you can't do it on your own. And you need this invitation. That you want to become this morning a son or a daughter of God. The one who formed the universe. I'm telling you, he wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. All that's left is for you to accept the invitation. And so this morning, if you want to accept that invitation, if you would, if you would say, yes, I want to accept the invitation to become his son or his daughter, I just want to invite you to put your hand up.
Awesome. Jesus, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your invitation to be a son and a daughter. This morning we accept that invitation. We choose to give you our lives. Not as servants, but as sons and daughters. We're sorry for the times we haven't believed. We're sorry for the times where we've tried to go our own way. And we just thank you for your grace and your love for us. Jesus, I thank you for every single person here this morning. I pray that this week as they open your word, I pray that they would have revelation of who you are, Jesus, more than they ever have. That as they look for you, that your word would just come alive to them. We thank you that you love to do that. You delight in doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.